let's just get started. It was that dramatic, you just can't even come up with a thing. (laughs) I don't want to waste time with some sort of attempted funny joke when we've got so much to go through. Very, very true. There's a lot. And I I realise as well, a lot of sort of contention and I suppose anger in many cases between or regarding what's happened uh, this Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia. So yes, the first ever Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in F1 history, certainly a memorable one, resulted in Lewis Hamilton getting first place, winning the race, Max Verstappen in second, and Valtteri Bottas in third. A very broad question to start with, but um, what did we make of this Grand Prix? I didn't like it. I didn't (laughs) like the whole weekend. The whole weekend was an absolute farce from start Mm -hmm. to finish. We had hot crashes in free practice and near near misses in free practice, to be honest, which sort of set alarm bells ringing. I mean, our predictions last week that it was going to be an absolute mess of a, of a race came out to be very true, just not in the way we thought it would be. But, but I mean, it wasn't even or Formula 1 that had the problems. Formula 2 had a horrendous crash when they, they didn't even started. It was... Okay, so in Formula 2... We had a, a terrible crash. Um, the lights went out and poor chair didn't move and got rear-ended by Fittipaldi. Nothing worse than the car, a car not moving on track and nothing he could do. It was just, it was really unfortunate. I, I literally tuned in to, to watch the start and I saw the lights go out and then within 30, you know, 30 seconds <laughs> I saw that and I was just like, well, that's off to a great start, isn't it? <laughs> so we had, luckily, they're they're actually, they're okay. I've been checking it in the messages actually. He says he's got a fractured wrist, I think, or fractured ankle. Heel. Um, heel. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he's got a fractured heel um, and thank goodness that's the only injury. Um, I mean, oddly enough, there's a parallel with Mazepin, completely, again, not his fault. Um, he he rear-ended George Russell during during the race and thankfully wasn't injured either i mean as i say it was an absolute fast for many reasons but just safety concerns after safety concerns cars were having to push like they've never pushed before in qualifying max verstappen was on one of the most beautiful laps i've seen in in any race actually it reminded me of lewis hamilton's singapore lap um in 2018 um, when he went faster than Mercedes thought he could go, and he was setting himself up beautifully, and then he just locked his front uh, wheels up, got on the power too early, and just hit the barrier um, yeah. because there's no runoff area, and that was it. Yep. And so we had a stupidly long, stupidly fast, poor visibility track that had no runoff area. And accidents and near misses. I mean, how science didn't slam into the barrier, I'll never know. He had two very, very close ones. I mean, a big crash into the barrier. He got away with it, luckily. I just I, I just sat there thinking, this is an absolute mess. It was it's money over safety, and it's just madness. And to be honest, if we don't go back there again, I'll be, I'll be quite pleased. It's not like Baku. It t- 
touches the edge of slightly too far, but I think falls on the right side of, of the safety concerns. The Saudi Arabia one was an absolute mess. And to be honest, it just stank of, of money and corruption. And yeah, that's all I have to say on that. Thank you. you you've summarised it very well. Mm. <laughs> I think I, I was going to say when I was when I was listening to Tom's sort of introduction there, all I wanted to say was I was absolutely exhausted at the end of Sunday. I mean, it might be because, uh, listeners, I'm ill. Um, I am ill, but also Sunday was draining. Like, I think it was mm. partly because mm. of just the length it was well, you know how long the race went on for because of those all those issues and red flags and yellow flags and safety cars but also because the stress of it and the worry made me even more exhausted and, and i had this after the well you're right tristan it even started before the sunday morning in the sense that already in practice there was there was these quite quite dramatic crashes where you know the car was properly broken up you look at Charles Leclerc I think that what bothered me as well is the commentators from before a car had set foot on track were all like this is going to be a dangerous one we're going to see some cars in the wall and already that bothered me it was like yeah. you shouldn't be chatting mm. about this like as well excited they're all like oh we're going to see some cars in the wall you know this is proper risky track I'm all about some dramatic action but like we shouldn't be excited about something that could be dangerous and obviously then it turned out like it was exactly as we all feared um, with these incidents in in practice in quali and then as you've been talking about Tristan I was watching the Formula 2 it was already a disaster let's point out that multiple sessions were delayed because mm-hmm. the track was not ready um, so it was the, the Formula 2 race was already extremely delayed the one the day before one had been delayed that one had been delayed I was waiting and waiting then they started driving around the track backwards on their on their outlap because the part of the track wasn't ready but they needed to get to the pit lane and they couldn't drive through it around past that area so they drove the track the wrong way round yeah. into to get to the pit lane these F2 cars oh, and I was like what kind of shambles is this and I remember I was on, on Twitter and um, I commented on like a friend's tweet or something and I sort of said like the gif of that guy who's carrying pizzas and he walks into the opens the door uh, carrying pizzas and fire <laughs> yeah, yeah that's the one and I posted back. that gif being like this is what it was like turning on the TV to see the cars driving the wrong way around the track so already I was like what's going on and, and there'd been some decent but again full of crashes um races the day before for f2 and obviously this was the feature race which ended up being very very not much not a feature race and very much a sprint race um and i was the same i'd like to point out that it wasn't the track's fault that um porcher and fittipaldi had that crash to be fair um because that was not relating to the the poor quality of the track in the sense that um but it does relate and it does bring up a very good point that these f2 cars and the f3 cars do not have anti-stall like why like it, it, it mm-hmm. seems like we're just seeing more and more reasons as these accidents happen we're waiting for accidents to happen to discover that these cars aren't fit to carry children racing at you know almost 200 miles an hour you know it, it, mm. it that was a that's brought up a point on its own but you know it's the second that Theo didn't move I was sat with my parents and we looked at each other and I went someone's gonna this is gonna be awful something's gonna happen we're waiting and waiting and waiting and it almost felt like everyone had gotten past <sighs> thank god and obviously um into the back room goes Enzo Fittipaldi I screamed <laughs> I couldn't help it because you don't know in these times obviously now we can chat about it because they're fine pretty much but you just that kind of accident you don't know what's just happened and obviously the mm-hmm. cameras like with Grosjean even better than Grosjean actually they showed us more of Grosjean burning than they did of this they um, completely cut cam- like cameras of that on of that section of the track obviously immediate red flag and yeah felt sick you know it was horrible obviously now we know they're okay but that's just it put a tinge already on that day and that Mm. feeling when you know when they restarted the race 
when after Grosjean's crash or ages after yeah. and they'd just been replaying it over and over again all the drivers looked sick with their stomachs anyway they restarted it and then Stroll had a flip yeah. but as they were restarting it there that kind of sick feeling is what I had the whole of that Sunday because it just felt like oh there'd been a near miss in F2 what's that what if that's a sign of things to come and someone's not quite as lucky in F1 do you know what I mean it felt mm-hmm. horrific yeah. so I was nervous I didn't watch the start of this race and that's probably one of the first times I haven't watched the start because I just felt like something was going to happen um, and yeah <laughs> poor it, there's no runoff the the damage okay the barriers did their job in some sense that they 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 it's different um, to Enzo going into the back of Theo Porcher because that was literally car into car. That's extreme force. Whereas when these cars were hitting in the walls, they were being absorbed. So the, the G-force and pressure wasn't as much. But yes, these barriers kind of did their job. They absorbed whatever. But these these accidents were still so heavy and so many. It was almost like when mm. we said, oh, there's probably going to be a few yellow flags. I don't think we quite considered the extent that to which that would be. Yeah. And for me, it, I would just say, I'd, I would come on to all the other reasons later. But for me, I just didn't enjoy it in the sense that I was waiting. I was watching that top left-hand corner for another yellow flag to pop up or red flag, even red flag to come up because there'd been some horrific instant off camera that we hadn't seen. And it was all gonna, you know, it had to be, the race had to be stopped. So for me, it was unsettling as a track. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Keita Mazepin's incident. Again, that that wasn't really an incident to do with the with the track. But again, and I'd like to say that everyone knows who's listening knows that we I don't like Nikita Maspin but that was again that was not his fault that situation it was actually another quite a scary one and I'm quite glad we didn't really see it live it was sort of in the background and we saw replays because again that was horrific so yeah safety concerns not great at all the as you say the atmosphere and the sort of background behind the circuit not good some drivers said they enjoyed it some drivers including george russell and a couple of others said absolutely not i think it's too dangerous so be interesting mm. to see what happens when we're going there and actually three races time we're back there because uh, it's the second race of the season <laughs> um yeah, so yeah. looking forward to it anyway uh, tom what do you think <laughs> yeah i was similar to yourselves i was deeply frustrated going out of this weekend i mean six crashes over the weekend two red flags it just isn't good enough, and it's one of those, as soon as there was an incident, you knew that there was going to be either double-wave yellows or red flags, that means less racing or a stop-start in the procedures. And it's no surprise, really, when we say that they're going around this circuit an average of 250 kilometres uh, per hour. And when you consider as well how dangerous that can be on qualifying and uh, free practice as well, all it takes is one driver who's not on a flying lap to be slightly out of position, then someone else is flying around and then all hell could break loose type thing. So there were huge concerns going into this. And I said what I did in the chat when the first red flag went off that this circuit isn't fit for purpose. And, you know, thinking on that, stewing over it and looking back at highlights, I'm still of the same opinion. I don't believe this track is fit for purpose in terms of a continuous, flowing, safe Formula One race. I think there needs to be huge changes to this, i.e. a runoff area in multiple different areas of the track. Uh, And as well, some, you know, more corners where it involves heavy braking and less uh, sort of um, straights where you get to those speeds, which I which I spoke about. So um, I am quite happy that this circuit is not going to be here forever when it comes to Formula One. 
But um, as we'll talk about later, this was only one of the many reasons I was so frustrated by this race because yes, it set up a perfect finale in Abu Dhabi, but um, the conduct, I think, of some of the organisers of this uh, circuit and indeed of this Grand Prix and those involved as well as those in the paddock was nothing short of disgraceful at times, really. And the best way to summarise this whole weekend is an analogy of... When you're six years old, and let's say you have a bag of sweets instead of uh, having a meal for, for your tea, right? You know, it's nice to start with. Oh, it's pretty fun. It's pretty exciting. This is abnormal. And then the sugar crash comes in, and then you think, why the hell did I do that? That I feel like awful now. Uh, this has not been great. Nobody wins. You know, occasionally you can get away with it type thing. But if this carries on happening where we see the conduct uh, of the certain players, as we see in Formula 1, on and off track... And these type of tracks continuing to be in the calendar, I really do fear for the long-term health of, of Formula One and the way it's viewed, really. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, 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 get, I get what you're saying, Tom, and I think we will talk about the, the conduct of drivers. But I do want to highlight, you know, when we're discussing the, the, the dangers, a lot of them, I think, could have been avoided if we were at a different track. Even the the, the Formula Two one, I I don't think could have been, but certainly when we're discussing the the Mazepin uh, crash, for example, the closest thing I've seen to it was Magello last year when we had that massive pile up on the on the restart because basically Bottas decided to hold everyone up at the front and we had that like concertina effect. But the reason why this happened here was because. You know, we had that accident and then everyone concertined up and there was nowhere for anyone to go. And so because it was such a, a thin track, because the whole thing about it was, look, we're going to get drivers getting into accidents. Well, then mm. what do you expect to happen? That if, if Russell has to slam on the brakes because of an accident, then of course you're going to get a driver piling behind him. You know, it, that's the thing. If, if there's somewhere for people to go, then you, you mitigate future damages. And so I, I don't not just not think that it was Mazepin's fault. I, I think it was a direct result of the track being this all scary, dangerous track. And that's how, mm, how yeah. they set it up. I mean, the reality is the whole race, everything was, st all the controversies were caused basically from the minute Mick Schumacher hit the wall because as soon yeah. as he went out in the, those first few laps then we knew we were going to start getting into the realms of restarts and potential red flags and you know that that domino effect of of change which causes yeah. more risk and it's kind of okay when it's not a track that is particularly susceptible to, to creating drama in itself but when you pair, you know, three restarts with a track that statistically had a high likelihood of, of some sort of damage from two cars on a restart, I think every single, every single lights out um, from Formula 2 and Formula 1 over the weekend had some sort of, of uh, collision, by the way, just for you there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, then... What was going to happen at some point was there were going to be these near misses. And I, I just think that's a disaster. And you know the FIA doesn't really care about it because it's the same thing with sausage curbs. We keep seeing over and over again drivers hitting sausage curbs and, and being flown into the air. There's a 
there's uh, there's people breaking backs, breaking wrists, having near misses with those, and they're like, oh yeah, well we're just going to keep them on the calendar. And of course, and you know now we've got another example of the F- FIA and the F1 you know community accepting a challenge to pretty you know stringent safety rules because we have this super fast, super thin, nowhere to go track that mm. yeah it keeps it exciting, but at what cost? Exactly, yeah. it's worth remembering as well that the. Um, the track was approved and confirmed by the FIA literally the day before cars went out on track. It was approved on Thursday. Some tracks are approved two months, three months, four months in advance. It was approved the day before. Like, mm. I, it, you cannot even fathom how this was even happened. And I think um, as well, like, wasn't there a an accidental yellow flag someone lent on a button or something? Like, it's honestly so bad. Yeah. When you just look mm. at every little thing, and the fact as well that we had multiple virtual safety cars during the race because there was so much debris on the track, and no one went to move it. Like I was watching this virtual safety car lap after lap, and the debris was still sat there. And I understand they have to wait for the cars to kind of bunch in a way that there's a gap for them to go out. But it just felt, it just everything just felt like, well, that's not going to go to plan. You almost knew it wasn't going to go to plan before it had yep. even happened. And you're completely right about the restarts, Tristan. When you think you know we bring a red flag out because the track is dangerous we need to sort it out we need to fix it i almost feared the red flag because it meant another restart and it meant another mm-hmm. the way that they were heading into that first you know into the first corner and it it, it, it restarts have been it's kind of scary forever but especially as you mentioned that incident last year when they with that pile up and then now they were doing the stationary restarts but like is that also just as dangerous and scary it, you know it it felt the whole way through jittery nervy and obviously these red flags that were caused as you say Tristan by issues with the track and issues with runoff and issues blah 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 these red flags then caused 10 times more drama yeah. which I'm sure we can start to delve into mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. start mention before we get into the main characters they mentioned something I heard that Lando Norris said and he said that it was absolutely stupid the fact that during red flags of course you can change your tyres and you can change parts of the yep. car and you know, it's almost as if you're betting on a red flag to happen. Should that be allowed? Blah, 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 blah. Well, we, and it, we, we do want to discuss that. Do you think yeah. it should be allowed that you change oh. type? Because this is something that's come up no. on our yeah. podcast before. No way. Mm. Yeah. I think, I personally, I think that it's fair in the sense that if it had happened to him in another race or even in that race, he probably would have been like, get in there. Like, it's going to it's gonna fall in certain people's favours on some weekends and certain people's not favours other weekends like that. I think that's just the way life is i think you know if they did put a rule in place it would have to be something where you can't change it unless the fia deems it damaged enough to need to be removed um because you know you can't physically race with that date level of you know tire if it had punctured or if it you know the wing had, was hanging off like you'd have to set some quite some precedent but it's so difficult for the fia to we don't want to add another thing to their list they're useless as it is you know like <laughs> we've seen this weekend in particular <laughs> I don't know if you've you've probably seen all over social media the the memes the deal or no deal the negotiations you know we've never we were saying in our group chat we you know I've never quite experienced I mean maybe it's been happening all along and we just didn't know but like bartering proper bartering negotiations over who who where the driver will start oh hey Red Bull this is what I can offer you no we haven't seen that though because we surely Mm. we would have seen the 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 cars inexplicably move around move positions yeah so So this was the first time we saw bloody deal or no deal come up it's honestly oh, boggled me and it's kind of like they almost forgot that we could hear what they were saying like <laughs> it, it, it's it's you know but you know bordering on 
like it's wrong like because wow it's in my opinion and i understand like if there's a bit confusion etc etc in my opinion it is the fia's job it is michael massey's job to tell a team where their driver is starting if they have evidence that they can they want to present absolutely michael massey cannot offer a position to a team it's just not he's he loses control and he loses respect (laughs) if he's gonna let them he they whether they hate him 100% 100% he should not care yeah. he should tell them and they should mm. they can whine about it as much as they want they can send him as many emails as they want you know they accept it they, he can't start offering things and being lenient because they I already See, think they've lost respect for him now I mean to, so I sorry to, to, to talk about the, the, the red flag thing personally yeah. I think that you shouldn't be able to change tyres I've said this yeah. once before a red flag is a pause it's a complete stop in my opinion, I'll be very brief about this. You should be able to change tires and and that sort of stuff under what you might call the racing conditions. So that's yellow flag safety cars. Mm-hmm. Therefore, mm-hmm. once they call the red flag out, what you can do is nothing. If you're already on your way in to 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 pit, so let's say you're in the pit lane and and you're changing tires and red flag gets thrown, then fine because you already started to box. You've already started that process under the racing conditions. However. You cannot, once you get back to the pit lane, change your car. You can change your tyres, absolutely, but that will send you to the back. So that's the mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it should work. You're not allowed to change your tyres. You're you're allowed to change damage, like severe. Like if it's severe damage, maybe you put in a clause that the FIA allows bodywork damage, like to be changed if it's a part for part component replacement, and the FIA signs off. But for things like tyres and stuff like that, you can do it, but you start behind everyone because what you've mm-hmm. done there is gained an advantage. And you would have had to go to the back anyway if you pitted under normal conditions. You should have done it under the safety car. You can't whine about it now. It's the same for everyone. <laughs> that way, no one benefits from the red flag, right? At all. Because it seems to be that there's been a gross oversight by the FAA that actually, when it comes to tight championships like this between Hamilton and Verstappen, that these sort of things can decide or at least give a huge advantage to one party or another. And, you know, we've heard so many times they say we don't want the FIA or the stewards deciding who wins this championship. But when it comes to the FIA, when it comes to penalties, you know, it's, it's come out in the wash that the FIA can only offer or suggest or, you know, say this could happen. And the stewards are the ones that instruct cars or teams to uh, take certain penalties or say this is happening. But I just, for the life of me, cannot understand why Michael Massey was involved as almost a middleman there between the stewards and the team saying you can have A or B. When we saw later in the race, lap 36, the stewards came out of their box, so to speak, and say, Max, a five-second penalty, here we go. Because as as we all said, really, in in the group chat, and as we hinted at in previous podcasts, the referee of the sport has got to be deemed absolutely impartial, unquestionable, and supremely confident in their judgment. As soon as you allow certain teams to have almost direct channels to the FIA or to those making decisions, you give an awful impression that they are susceptible to manipulation, which yeah. unfortunately be it right or wrong, I believe Michael Massey at least, and indeed sections of the FIA have hanging over them right now. If we're talking about the sort of later penalties, the 10-second penalty given to Verstappen after because of the causing the collision on lap 37 as it was deemed, I think that was actually a good decision because yes, it made no difference to the outcome, but can you imagine 
if there was a penalty given to Max Verstappen in the final race of this very, very tight season where he was down to third, let's say. Had a two-place grid penalty, five-place grid penalty, whatever. That would be, in my opinion, um, the FIA and the stewards and those involved as the umpires of the sports looking at least like they were trying to decide uh, the result of this championship. So in that regard, plaudits. But the stuff that came before that, that was tough to watch. I think though, with what you've said there about obviously we'll come. It's more about next week, and we'll talk about this week. But if you said about next week, if if Max gets a penalty towards the end and it puts him from first to third or whatever, I think yes. But if he does something worthy of a penalty that needs to push him back to third, no, then no, no, I'm, I'm talking about to. that incident. I'm talking about oh that yeah, incident I don't think they would. 37. I don't think they would put yeah. it on to next week. No, no, no. They, yeah, no, you're right about that. But uh, you know, we'll come on to it. But I'm I would not be surprised if they were having to deliver penalties to Max Verstappen next week. But we'll come to that yeah, later. Well. Um, Tristan, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was. I wanted to just to pick up the the whole Michael Massey thing because there was. I I feel like perhaps the problem we've got is is the whole Michael Massey scenario might have been a bit misinterpreted. Um, again, because of the red flag. So under usual racing conditions, if a if a driver gets past another um, another driver in a an illegal fashion, for example, by running them off or going off themselves within the race they get an opportunity to give that that place back something that caused controversy a couple of times in the race now the problem was is if you remember verstappen got past hamilton and then the red flag occurred and so didn't get the opportunity to to give that place back and then ocon got past hamilton and so I think what happened was is Michael Massey, the race director, looked at it and realised that he couldn't refer it to the stewards because he hadn't given the team any time to give the place back to, to Hamilton. I mean, how could they? They're under red flag conditions. That's where they get locked in. So I think what happened was is in Ma- Michael Massey decided he was basically going to give Red Bull the option to get to pseudo give the place back and and he did that via the the restart process and moving them to third position now i think the reason why he had to ask was because also in the race teams have an option to go to the stewards to chance their arm because after a certain amount of time it gets referred to the stewards and the stewards decide whether or not they should have given the place back and then hand a penalty or not so I feel like what Michael Massey should have said to Red Bull was, we want you to go back to third position. We're giving the opportunity to give the place back to Hamilton. You can either accept this or you can give it to the stewards whether and they will then decide whether or not to give you a penalty. Do you want to accept that? And And I think what happened was, is because Michael didn't say that, he sort of said, we, we want you to start in P2, and then Red Bull said, well, hold on a minute. Does that mean we're starting behind Hamilton or Ocon? And Michael realised that actually he, he got his numbers wrong. We got into this weird bartering thing where he went, no, 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 I didn't mean P2. I meant P3. Are you OK with P3? And so it was kind of like deal or no deal. It was, as you say, it was. It felt like he was asking Red Bull's permission to make the changes. And to some extent he had to, though, because let's imagine for a moment Michael had moved them back to P3. He has manipulated the championship points and 
as a result of that could have done some some serious damage to the reputation of the FIA for physically moving a car to a new position without the team being on board. So I think he had to ask. But to be honest, I, I think it was just done in a way that wasn't very transparent. It kind of it was lacking because we were getting these snapshot moments of radio. If I'm honest, I think what he should have actually done is called in uh, is called both Toto and Christian Horner at the same time, had them both and said, look, we think Max is overtaken illegally. If you agree with us, are you willing to start behind Hamilton? You know, if you, you can accept that or if you don't, we'll take it to the stewards like we would in the normal process. Um, and then you know, started like that. The other option would have been to tell Red Bull to give the place back on the restart. And just, let's say, reset the clock, if you'd like. You know, you get a certain amount of time to give the place back. Yeah. On the restart, being like, look, Mm -hmm. we expect you to give the place back when the restart happens. If you do that, then that'd be great. If not, you go to the stewards like normal. As I say, two approaches there. But yeah, the way it was done caused a lot of controversy. It felt like the FIA were meddling. And it... As you say, Tom, it, it just felt like it, it, the whole rule book process had gone up into the air, and Michael was was making it up as he went along. But to be honest, I think I think mm, he had yeah. no choice because of the reasons I I sort of outlined. I there. think your explanation, Tristan, was actually really good, um, really good. Like I'm sure it helped the listeners. It actually helped me understand it a little bit better. But I would agree that um, whilst that makes sense, the reasoning, he, it was just the whole communication. And again, it comes up in future things we're about to be talking about, but communication between him and the teams, in particular Red Bull and Mercedes, and and in general, just communication is was poor. And I do I do think that it was one of those where thing like event and and complication on top of complication on, t- on top of complication made everything elevated and seemed so much worse. If just one of these things had happened, it might not have been quite so dramatic. But it was the sense that it just almost felt like Michael Massey couldn't catch a break and he was just slowly sinking into the ground and meanwhile the track was falling <laughs> apart and meanwhile yeah. there was you know there was young f2 drivers hospitalizing it was just all of these things and i think that as a as a spectator as a fan it was almost overwhelming and it was almost to the point where when we did hear those messages from michael massey of course there is kind some sort of logical explanation but at the end of the day that's what it felt like to people listening and it you know everyone felt um, it was wrong and I I think, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, they agreed on how they were going to do that restart. And obviously at the time we thought, oh, thank goodness, like, all the drama's over. Um, and um, I've got to say, you know, what an incredible restart it was for Max Verstappen. Um, and obviously yeah. they, they obviously tr- entrusted in his ability to get go from third into first rather than choosing to, you know, take the risk of what they were going to do. They went, yeah, when I will put him in third, we'll agree to that. Um and got three into one in that first in that restart in the first corner and you know what he he drove he had a fantastic fantastic start but um that was obviously not it <laughs> and mm. shout out to Ocon for just like chilling out there yeah um as well i literally was so shocked <laughs> when we first when we first got to the restart and they went the, into the red flag and they were like working out the order i fully hadn't been paying proper attention to like pass p1 p p2 because they were like oh yeah and then ocon where is it before or after ocon and i was like beg pardon yeah and i said to my mum, i was like what ocon it, they're choosing when they're gonna be before or after ocon and i realized how you know i was going to say lucky because that's obviously he drove he drove really well but the way yeah. he ended up where he was in the position yeah. he was um, you know, good on him, but obviously that did not. It, on a normal day, that might have been quite a big story um, that he was fighting for third at the end. But obviously, it it, it wasn't. But mm. yeah, it a bit of a shambles to be honest. And it just, it, I think mm. it's an, it's the combination of all of the problems that makes it seem like one massive 
f up (laughs) um Mm. for me and it's remarkable as well how yes that battle between Ocon and uh, Bottas on literally the final stretches of the last lap is you know paled into insignificance because of uh, another fight that was going on at the front of the grid between uh, one the two drivers who are fighting for the championship. Uh, the first one, of course, consi- uh, took place on lap eleven when Max goes off the circuit turn one and two, and then after that restart, the second one at least he has that amazing start, but come lap thirty six does pretty much the same thing as he did on lap eleven, dives off the track. On on turn uh, one and two hops back on and then we get this very bizarre situation where we're hearing from the Red Bull garages that they say okay Max let's give the position back meanwhile we're seeing the footage of Lewis Hamilton clip him shall we say and there's a lot of confusion around whether Verstappen brake tested him whether Hamilton was confused about whether there was a virtual safety car going on as we say there was a penalty given to Verstappen for causing a collision but what were our thoughts on one of the many incidences that happened in this race particularly between uh, the two people who were fighting for the championship I think Firstly, I apologise this is that this is going to be a relatively lengthy podcast. There is just that much to get through, but I think it's important that we discuss this one this week and we don't postpone it. The Whether or not Verstappen brake tested Hamilton, I don't really like that term brake test uh, because it is a bit ambiguous and, and where you want to define that. What he actually did was he did increase his, his braking deceleration um, sharply to 2.4 Gs um, whilst Hamilton was working out what to do. However, I, I think the most most of my issue with this is this actually directly caused by, again, a lack of communication from the from the FIA and the inability of, of teams to talk to one another. But if you didn't watch it, on the, on the start straight, Verstappen was told to, to let Hamilton by. Verstappen wanted to let Hamilton by before the DRS line and so starts slowing down. Hamilton is following him, also starts slowing down. Let's be clear about that. Hamilton was like, mm. oh, this is weird, and also starts slowing down. Didn't pass him. And there I think there's some controversy there because he definitely had an opportunity to. Max, I think, gets frustrated that Hamilton isn't slowing down, um, isn't passing him before the DRS line and does what Max does and just hits the brake a bit harder to slow down more that catches um that catches hamilton out hamilton is trying to get round him clips him and goes oh he brake tested me to be honest mate mm. you should have tried to get past him i don't know why he didn't but that's not the problem the problem is is actually verstappen therefore did cause the collision because he did increase his deceleration over and above what it originally was i think if he kept gently slowing down right hamilton could have followed that the fact of the matter is, Hamilton should have got past Verstappen, but Hamilton didn't want to get past Verstappen for the DRS line. Verstappen wanted to let Hamilton pass before the DRS line, then we'll go over the DRS line. They're both playing games with one another, but this was directly caused by the fact that the FIA told Red Bull to let the t- let Hamilton pass before they told Mercedes that they're going to tell Red Bull to let Hamilton pass. You should... Yeah. T- mm. I- why did they not tell Mercedes first? Because that would have... Surely, it makes more sense to tell 
Mercedes so that they can pre-warn Hamilton. By the way, if the guy in front of you starts slowing down and moving to a weird part of the track, he's letting you pass, especially as there was <laughs> loads of accidents going on. So Hamilton might have been thinking, that's weird, then maybe there's an accident. Although you might also argue that it should be up on their uh, steering wheels and stuff, but that failed in Qatar. So who really knows at this point? The point is, is crap communication between the FIA and the teams yet again. Both drivers trying to play games with one another. They both in my bad books to be honest i think they should just scrap the whole um championship if they both keep doing this navi dabbing give it to bloody bottas because he's the only one that deserves <laughs> it at this point uh, yeah i think i totally agree with you i was before you'd finished speaking i was gonna chip i'm not chipping but like start my bit with like oh it was the fia's communication as well but you came onto it perfectly it mm. i think there's two key th- points to remember i think the first one is yeah the communication was so so poor i i, I agree it should have been um, they should have told Mercedes first to speak to Lewis about it first. That would be, again, again coming back to my last point, probably something they would usually do. But the stewards and Michael Massey and just the whole situation, the race control was just in a mess. It, you could, like, if you think about how stressful, how stressed we were watching at home, like imagine trying to manage that race, like absolute chaos and not just at the front with everything that was going on as well. So I can understand. However, in that role, there is no room to make mistakes. There, there, just, just no, there's no room to make mistakes and you've got lives, lives on the line. So for me, it, that was a huge part of it. The fact that they told them in the wrong order. Like, what? obviously, they're going to immediately try and get Max to do it because the sooner they can do it, obviously, with the DRS stuff, we'll come on to that. Get it. So they're going to tell Red Bull, and obviously, Red Bull are going to immediately do it. And then you should expect that you wouldn't have had time to tell Mercedes in within that time. So you have to tell them first. Anyway, that was stupid in itself. I, I think the second thing you've got to remember is that drivers have to make decisions in le- milliseconds sometimes, and I think. You, you touched upon it in the sense that if obviously Lewis at this point has no idea that he's going to be going past because Max is letting him pass he doesn't know this I think if he was to suddenly see Max slowing down in front of him I think like you you touched upon that he may have thought there may have been an instant up ahead and you mentioned oh what about the steering wheel or the light again there's been so many errors that weekend as a driver and as someone who reacts on instinct I think that Lewis may have been surpri- taken like surprised by the fact that that this that this this slowed up in front of him, and I don't think his first thought would have been, "Oh, maybe he's letting me pass." He's thinking, "Oh my God, there's a sudden braking." He's also suddenly braking, obviously not quite as as heavily. I would I would disagree slightly, Tristan, and I don't think there was a lot of room either side of Max for for Hamilton to get past. I personally think that Max let him pass by parking himself smack bang in the middle of the track. You need to pick a side, mate. Like, personally, looking from mm. different angles, I don't think there was a way that Hamilton could go unless he made such a last minute decision, which obviously he kind of had to and clipped the car. I personally, there's, in my opinion, there is no way, there's no way Lewis is such an experienced and talented driver that he would, be, unless he was forced into it by this horrific situation or irritating situation there's no way lewis would risk getting his car like clipping the back of max's he's not an idiot he wants to finish the race so, so lewis wouldn't have made that decision unless he was quite literally thrown it forced it had to make it in a split second had to s- s- swerve either way and had and obviously clip the car and uh, there's there's many aspects i do think the communication from the fia is to blame but i, I do think that max should have personally but should have moved slightly to one side or either side um when because you can't just let someone pass by stopping in front of them like you have to move to the side even nikita mazepin most of the time moved to the side when he's allowing someone past um and so so obviously that's that's um quite a, a key point and obviously i watching um 
um, a Sky Sports F1 with uh, Anthony Davison. No one had mentioned until Anthony was speaking about the fact about the DRS line. And Tristan, you made such a good point. Both of them, I do think, it's, it's, there's so many elements to this. Both of them are obviously aware of where that line is. So again, they're thinking, they're thinking. So I don't think necessarily Hamilton wouldn't pass him because he was waiting for the DRS line. I think Hamilton was probably thinking about the DRS line and, oh shit, someone stopped in front of me. I think that it was on both of their minds and it's something that not many picked up on until Anthony Davidson actually picked up on it and made a very, very good point is there's so many, so many elements to these drivers' decisions and it, it, just, it just sort of highlights how incredible they are really these sort of things they're having to think about whilst driving at 250 kilometers an hour etc you know i can barely think about that when i'm driving along at 40 like i spill food over myself <laughs> when i'm not focusing at like 40 miles an hour do you know what i mean so th- there's many elements but i personally would i wouldn't put the blame wholly on a single driver i wouldn't put the blame wholly on fia but i would put slightly more blame on Max and I would on Lewis that doesn't mean that I'm saying everything's fully his fault and none of it is Lewis's fault but I would emphasize slightly more blame onto Max I was going off by the way sorry the the um overhead and the front camera which I think if yeah. you watch the onboard it looks like there's not much space but the um, the above uh helicopter view shows there was actually I think enough space and I think Hamilton did have the opportunity I'm a bit more cynical I think Liv because the reality <laughs> is there was nothing on the steering wheel and there's no other reason and also his engineer didn't go on to say in front of you there's been an accident i don't think there was any clues and so i think this is going back though to the whole thing about whether or not an, a, a driver should be expected just to slow down which is what the argument was in favor of Verstappen getting a penalty mm. and i said no mm. a driver is not expected just to slow down to you know to predict an accident in the same way that i'm holding hamilton to the same standard he shouldn't have you know slow down behind max because he thought that there was an accident there was no you know you shouldn't have to think like that as a driver you know mm-hmm. I, to be honest i'm pretty pessimistic i think hamilton knew what he's doing <laughs> um yeah it was a really bizarre one wasn't it And i think it did come down to a colossal misunderstanding between both the two drivers and indeed the fia and the respective parties but i do agree that max did give uh, Hamilton enough room but as we saw later it was quite clear that he was trying to engineer a situation where yes he gave the the place back but he was ready there to go and retake uh, first place and that you know technically he'd done what the FIA and stewards had asked him but you know he was still the leader if that makes sense he did give enough room but then you did see him sort of slightly um, meander over back to the left so there's a case to say okay maybe there's less room but I mean from all these years we've seen Lewis Hamilton make such audacious moves and um, such a never say die attitude it was such a weird one for him to park himself right behind uh, Verstappen when he when Verstappen was slowing down and then not even almost attempt to go down either way just sort of sit there for a while and I think a bit of a blame has to go onto himself as well because as you say where there's no communication from engineers no signs why not go for the move and then you know have to go and let him pass later that's you know that's the worst case scenario ultimately if let's say there was uh, a virtual safety car or something of that ilk and Hamilton had to you know make amends shall we say surely that's more preferable than missing an opportunity to go and take first place I mean I'm still surprised really that uh, uh, both, uh, or should I say, the element of Hamilton's wing that hit him to Verstappen 
had such little damage. I was expecting when I, because I was listening to it live and then watched it back, I was expecting a huge prang similar to uh, the impact. Yeah, maybe not as much, but nearly uh, between, let's say, Mazepin and uh, Russell. And there to be huge damage, but no, Hamilton got away fairly lightly considering the the impact there was. And as I say, I think it was well handled by the stewards in the FIA and that ultimately justice was in many ways served. But such a bizarre one, I think. And um, I was thinking back, I can't really remember a scenario where this has happened, where you've had two drivers fighting uh, for the championship in such a sort of close-knit uh, battle. And there's been this type of sort of hesitancy and ambiguity when it comes to the driver letting them pass, in inverted commas, and then the one who's trying to ultimately not seal uh, the championship by any stretch of the imagination, but give himself an advantage at least, and a strong advantage at that, going to Abu Dhabi considering the momentum Hamilton had. But um, yet yeah, neither, in my view, are innocent, but um, I'm glad that it's all been sewn up um, in this race and it, there won't be a hangover of it in terms of to the, uh, the, the finale of this season. I think... A couple of things of what you both said. I think the, he would be, he would be parked directly behind Max because he's heading into the, the the main straight and he wants to get the slipstream and get past him. So I think it would it's normal for him to be closing in on him as they approach as they turn the final corner. Um, for, so for me for me I can understand why he why he was in that position. I think that I do I do understand what you mean in the sense that if he if someone if you were desperate to get past and someone had slowed in in front of you you would probably think, oh, you know, now's my time to get past. But I almost think that if he had absolutely no idea that Max was due to give up a space and suddenly he's stopping in front of you, I would, it's almost like you wouldn't even believe, you wouldn't believe that your biggest rival in the world and the contender for the championship would, would, would stop or slow down to let you pass unless something horrific had happened in front of him. Do you know what I mean? If you didn't know there was anything to do with pass, letting people pass because of penalties, you must think for Max to to you know risk his his first place holy shit i better break <laughs> you know i better stop with him i don't i i, I don't you know we mm. don't understand none of us understand the mindset of these drivers so i just almost think if you've got a split in a sink second and he thinks there's no way in hell Verstappen's ever going to let me pass because of who he is as a person and what this championship is like and suddenly he's slowing and you have no idea whatsoever about him having to let you pass why the hell is he slowing down oh my god what's happening next thing you know you slow down you've clipped him but I would agree, Tristan, that on that front view, it does look like there is more space, but obviously that's not how Lewis is viewing it. Lewis is viewing it from the view that we're seeing from inside the car, which uh, yeah, where the, it doesn't the cameras, look like a lot of space. The cameras do cause problems with that. I think, I think, I think Hamilton knew he had enough space because he then mm. tried to go round him. But so last minute, because he was so shocked about yeah, what's happening, they he didn't know. They 60 yeah, miles but... an hour. The, the it's tele- crazy, you watch the telemetry it? data, they, have, they slow and slow. And so that's why he didn't get any damage because they were doing 60 miles <laughs> an hour by the end of it, which is, you know, that's pit lane speed. It was absolutely hmm. bloody ridiculous. And you may be able to correct me on this, but I, I also didn't think that the, the FIA... I didn't understand their handling of it either because after all of that drama happened, finally they got on the radios and Christian Horner said, do we need to let him pass or not? Or not? Are we letting him pass or not? Yes, you have to let him pass. Meanwhile, he's been delivered a five-second penalty. And so now I'm rejoining oh, your side, yeah. guys. I'm rejoining your side in the sense that Max is, it's un, life is unfair to Max Verstappen right now. Because for me, he's, he has, after all of that drama, blah, 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 he did shoot off into the distance after the Hamilton clipped him. But anyway, mm. he eventually let Hamilton pass, yet he was still delivered a five-second penalty that five second penalty shouldn't have been the case yeah what was he, that for yeah, ex- yeah, ah. for, yeah because he gave the place back yeah, exactly. I understand he gave the it back ten- twice mm-hmm. yeah I understand mm-hmm. the 10 second penalty for the slowing down incident yeah. however 
the five seconds that were given to him should have then been cancelled or not been delivered at all. I can't remember the order of events. Yeah, it was he when gave he, the place back, but as he was giving the place back, they gave the five-second penalty. They shouldn't have yep. to do both. They should then say, no, 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 actually, you can be in the lead. Or, you know, you, they need to make their mind. It needs to be one of those two. For me, yeah. they've delivered him double the a amount dub, of yeah, they penalty. need to there. Um, so for me, I, I'm sort of re-signing with Max briefly. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you covered that because that was something I, I was tempted to bring up because it was just yet another feather into my, my angry cap as <laughs> I've, I've donned it at the moment. But to be honest, you're right, Liv. He he, he gave he had a double penalty and that, that yeah. really frustrated me. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so ends episode 33, the first time we've looked back at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in a Formula 1 calendar. And it's certainly one to remember looking forward to the end of this season and indeed to the future but yes on the 10th of December we'll start the final weekend of the F1 2021 calendar we are going to a new and reformed Abu Dhabi Grand Prix circuit where we will see who is the victor between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen of course both drivers being absolutely level on points the point five indeed and we'll see in this race which one comes out on top keep an ear out as well or indeed an eye out or maybe both about how this is going to be streamed onto our tv sets and uh, ultimately how we can watch it because there are rumors going around that because of the grandeur of this race weekend on sunday that starts at 1 p.m uh, uk time it could indeed be streamed for free on channel 4 yet to be confirmed no doubt when this comes out we'll have an answer either way but keep an ear out for that one but yes we will be back next week and the week after looking back at the final weekend of the season then looking back at the season and looking at the fallout of not only this Grand Prix but the one to come as well because put it this way these topics we've spoken about today we're not done just yet until next time thank you very much for listening well done, sir. Nice. That was very. That was nice. very nice. Very all of the good. points there. <laughs> just, just think though. You know, all that money, all that time, Abu Dhabi's desire to have that almighty culmination of the season. <laughs> finally, it's finally come into fruition. <laughs> patience and, is a virtue. Yeah, patience is, and just in time for them to have redone that, done the track, and mm. hopefully it's, hopefully it's good.